This episode of Local Knowledge is brought to you by Ping, the family-owned company that's been helping golfers enjoy the game for more than 60 years. What started in the garage of a frustrated golfer has grown into one of the most respected equipment brands in the game by bringing golfers what they want most, lower scores. And now, here's Local Knowledge. <laughs> that feels pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say, to be honest with you guys. Um, I'm just really thankful to be in this position. Um, you know, I, I didn't get to the press room in my dreams, so I don't, you guys are going to have to ask me some questions. <laughs> if anyone has golf figured out right now, it's Scotty Scheffler. At 25, Scheffler has won four of six tournaments, including the Masters. He is the number one player in the world by a decent margin. Before that, Scheffler was a stud at the University of Texas. And before that, he won the U.S. Junior. So, Scotty won't be looking for a job anytime soon. And if for some reason he woke up one morning and worried otherwise, well, that's where having a green jacket in your closet comes in handy. But that's Scotty Scheffler now. A more interesting thought is about Scotty Scheffler, the kid. A few months ago, I had this idea to ask pro golfers a pretty simple question. When did you know you were good? Like, not just better than the kids at your club good, or maybe I can play in college good, but so uniquely good you knew you could make a living playing golf. I asked Scotty this question a few months back at the players. Uh, for me, I always wanted to be out here. You know, as I remember when I was a kid at Royal Oaks, I used to wear long pants when I would practice, you know, when I was seven or eight years old, and everybody used to make fun of me. Um, but, you know, I, that's what I did. That's what the pros did, so I wore pants. Um, I never really, you know, it's kind of weird. I never, like, expected to be out here. It just, you know, it seemed like something that I wanted to do, and I never was too focused on it until I was out here. I was just always trying to get better. I never really, you know, put too much thought into it. I was just trying to just keep getting better. It almost seems like an odd thing to say, that a player of Scotty Scheffler's caliber as a junior and then as an amateur didn't expect to play on the PGA Tour. Like, really? Well, apparently because I actually asked a bunch of other elite golfers the same question, and their answers were all pretty much the same. And suddenly this idea I had about asking great players when the light bulb goes off that tells them they were on their way became something else. Because what I learned is that for those players, that light bulb actually never goes off. And that, it turns out, is the part that makes them great. Shuffler outshines the ball at Augusta. I'm Sam Wyman, and this week on Local Knowledge, we're talking about the mysterious road from talented junior golfer to the PGA Tour, why some players make it and why others don't. I say mysterious because it's not like there's a clear formula for success on the PGA Tour. If my early hunch was that some players just hit the genetic lottery that grants them the right recipe of fast twitch muscles and hand-eye coordination and that's what seals their fate, what I quickly learned is that a lot of golfers hit the genetic lottery, and the overwhelming majority of them don't end up anywhere like Scotty Scheffler. If anything, the only formula for success in golf goes far beyond physical talent. More often, in fact, the real separator is how you think. So what does that mean, actually? Thinking better is a pretty vague concept when it comes to golf, and it could apply to pretty much anything. Core strategy, managing your emotions, remembering where you parked. Those are all important, but a common theme among top players, and really why some move on and others never do, is very simply about their relationship to improvement. Let's begin with a story from Victor Hovland from a few months back. 
It was in response to this question about a significant moment in his development. Do you happen to recall the biggest jump you made as a junior golfer and when you were younger and, and what exactly that looked like? Probably the biggest jump I made, um, I would say from my sophomore year in college, uh, after the first semester until the second semester, I had probably four or five weeks off. Halvin goes on to give a pretty detailed answer about this one shot of three wood that traveled too low off the deck. He was already at Oklahoma State and enjoying decent success, but he was still stumped by this one thing. It was just such a frustrating way to play golf because uh, I would I would watch my peers and they would just hit these high draws off of the off of the ground onto the the green on par fives and uh, went to my coach at the time over the break Denny Lucas in uh, in Jupiter. And uh, we got to work and I spent the four or five weeks just grinding on my swing. And then when I came back out to, for the next semester, that sophomore year, I was, uh, was kind of starting to hit it higher. I could hit four irons way higher, stop it on the greens, three woods, draw it more. So that was, uh, that was really exciting. I remember when Hoblin gave that answer, I was thinking, well, that's not exactly what I was talking about. Remember, this was a kid who was already at Oklahoma State, which is probably the best college golf program in the country. And so when you're talking about a quote-unquote big jump in your career, I don't think improving the height of your three would counts. But it turns out that when we're trying to understand why certain players are wired for success, this actually isn't a bad example because it speaks to what psychologists refer to as a mastery mindset. It's this idea of motivation coming not from external or material rewards, but the internal satisfaction of just being better at something than you were the day before. This is Rick Sessinghouse, a Southern California-based golf coach who also has a doctorate in sports psychology. A lot of people are, they want to achieve things, they want to achieve goals, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. Yet sometimes when they achieve the goal, they feel they're done. And what ends up happening is motivation goes down and uh, you don't see somebody develop. You don't see somebody keep going and accomplishing those things because, hey, I've, I've accomplished it. I, might, I must have it already. And mastery mindset, it, it, those accomplishments along the way are really nice, but mastery is looking at a long-term journey and all the accumulations. I look at things like a puzzle, is there's a ton of puzzle pieces. And for me to get that correct fit requires to look at all of those things. And Again, go back to the idea of this magical light bulb. As I used to see it, for a player like Hovland to clean up in his native Norway and then make it to a top-tier program like Oklahoma State, the light bulb had already gone off. After that, we're just talking about minor tweaks. But the great players, they don't see it that way. There are no minor tweaks because it might be the minor tweaks that make all the difference. When you're a family-owned company like Ping that's been in the golf business for more than 60 years, it's clear you've earned the trust of generations of golfers. If you've ever played a Ping driver, iron, wedge, or putter, you know what we're talking about. The engineers at Ping always go to great lengths to make sure their newest products are always better than the previous version. They like to say the product speaks for itself. We've heard that a lot. So if you haven't tested one of their products, it's time you experience a Ping custom fitting. They fit every club in the bag to help you play your best from the popular G425 family to their newest products like the I525 Iron, Glide 4.0 Wedges, and PLD Milled Putters. And once you've been custom fit, your clubs are custom built to your precise specifications. You can't get any more custom than that. Learn more about what sets Ping apart at ping.com. It's worth noting that Sessinghouse has a student by the name of Colin Morikawa. Maybe you've heard of him. 
Morikawa already has two majors to his credit, is coming off an electric finish at the Masters, and is neck and neck with Scotty Scheffler as the future of golf. But not even a decade ago, Morikawa was far from a sure thing. He was a promising player, sure, but he never won an event on the AJGA circuit, and at one tournament in particular at PGA National, he seemed overmatched by high winds that had pushed his score into the 80s. I just went out to the range and started learning how to hit in the wind um, because it was frustrating. Like it, it was frustrating to see my ball literally move 30 yards off or 50 yards offline when you would, you would think you would hit a good shot. Um, obviously, that's not the way to play in the wind. I don't know where that comes from. I, I think it's just me wanting to get better, right? It, it taps back into me wanting to learn every shot possible. And I know that there's so many shots out there that I just, I've maybe never even seen or witnessed or learned how to hit. As far as light bulb moments go, this was actually one for Sessinghouse because it showed how Morikawa was wired differently than basically any other player he had coached. And before I could say a word, he's, he's basically saying, hey, Rick, I need to learn how to um, flight my irons better the wind uh, got a hold of them and I didn't play well, right? The score indicated that uh, I believe it was low to, to, to mid eighties. And what, why that was so different is that I've worked with plenty of very good juniors, college players and professionals who would have posed their assessment in a much different way. They would have created an excuse. I didn't play well because of the wind and they would have left it at that. And, oh, my gosh, yeah, if the wind wasn't there, I would have done this. Or if the greens weren't bumpy or if that. And, and they're always looking at um, making excuses. And what Colin has always done at an early age is he hold, holds himself accountable. He doesn't make any excuses and then says, hey, I was just exposed here. Right. I call it kind of your blind spots is like figuring out what your blind spots are. And he was exposed. OK, L.A. area where we we grew up, not a lot of wind. He comes back, this is not acceptable. So you have two examples of players who noticed glaring deficiencies in their games and sought to address them. Hovland struggled to hold greens with his three wood. Morikawa couldn't control his ball in the wind. To players with the right mindset, these types of revelations are gifts because they help clarify precisely what they need. Think about when Roy McIlroy fell apart in the 2011 Masters, then won the next major at the US Open or when Jordan Spieth lost the 2014 Masters, then came back the next year to win it with ease. In both cases, the first setback offered valuable feedback that helped push them over the top. One of the epic performances in the annals of the sport. When you fail, it's almost simpler because the blueprint is pretty clear, but what happens when things are going great? It's hard to think of that as a bad thing, but it actually does create a new challenge. As I mentioned, the question I asked tour players a little while ago was basically, when did you know you had it? When I asked Morikawa this question, his response was that he still doesn't feel that way. And more to the point, he said the kids who do are the ones who fall into a trap. For the juniors that have you know a lot of success early on and have a lot of college offers and have all these things going their way, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's exactly what you work for as a, as a junior, right? You want to get these offers. You want to get to college. You want to have this happen. Um, but you can't, you just can't be complacent, right? You can't show up to college thinking you're the guy and people just figure it out. People are always working. And just because you have success on the junior level and college does not mean you're going to succeed on the PJ tour level. Um, it's just, you have to keep getting better. 
So keep working makes all kinds of sense when you're shooting scores in the 80s or finishing back in the pack of college tournaments. But what if you're winning? Better yet, what if you're dominating the game like never before? There it is, a win for the ages. If there's a golf poster child for a mastery mindset, and maybe the most extreme example in history of someone never being satisfied, it's Tiger Woods. Remember, Woods won the Masters in 1997 by 12 shots. If that was you or me, we might be praying, please, let me play golf like this for the rest of my life. But Woods and his coach, Butch Harmon, they saw it different. We've done a lot of work since you won the Masters three years ago, from a swing that we thought worked pretty good then, and we realized it wouldn't work good for longevity. And why don't you take them through what you've done? Yeah, and, and that's just because of a product of being a junior golfer. All junior golfers fire their hips hard, get the club stuck from the inside so they can flip it, hit the ball long ways. Yeah, you hit the ball long ways, but it's hard to control. And under the gun, like a lot of pressure on yourself, it's really hard to hit the ball at a specific distance with the correct shape. That's Harmon and Woods on Golf Channel in 2000 talking through why they decided to rebuild Woods' swing. Did it work? Well, Woods went on to the greatest stretch of golf in history, winning seven of 11 majors and four straight between the 2000 US Open and the 2001 Masters. So yeah, it worked. Here's Sessinghouse. I do not know Tiger, but that definitely leads to a mastery mindset, right? Uh, somebody who knows they can get better. Um, now, that doesn't mean they always go down the right road. Let me just make that clear. But sure. when, when we want to push ourselves, when we want to um, go every stone unturned to see how I can get better, that's mastery mindset. You have to sacrifice a lot. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to be curious. That's a wonderful, um, I believe, uh, personality trait to, to have. Um, with that being said, I may not always agree that you have to redo everything <laughs> to get better that I, th I think you can be inherently who you are and not have to change golf swings per se to make the little adjustments that would go along the way. But yes, the mastery mindset is, you know what, there's can be more out of it. As the coach said, there's no guarantee changes always work. And there are plenty of examples of golfers who had it pretty good, then tinkered too much and ended up losing it all. I'm thinking about Ian Baker Finch, who won the Open Championship in 1991, started chasing more distance, and lost his game soon after. So that's one risk. The other risk is, well, doesn't some of this sound kind of miserable? If the key to becoming a great player is that you're never fully happy with your swing, doesn't that mean you're just never happy? Well, if you put it that way, sure. But this is the really important part. A mastery mindset says you don't really play golf for money or trophies or so they talk about you on podcasts. All that is great. But the real motivation is because you enjoy the challenge. You like the problem solving. And once you feel like you've solved one problem, you're determined to find a new one. If we define it as a problem, people think that, that there's a, they lack something. Oh my gosh, I lack a skill. I lack that. The people who look at problem solving as something that's exciting, is curious, is like, wow, when I figure this out, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to the next level. And and that's the part that I think becomes a differentiation is it's okay to admit you're not good at something. It's okay to say, hey, I can get better at it. But some people are, are fearful of having that discussion, to be honest with you. They don't want to admit they're not good at something. So they just ignore it, ignore it. And then it gets exposed as they get to higher and higher levels. Gavin Hall could have been one of those golfers who thought he had it all figured out. If Colin Morikawa was returning from junior tournaments wondering how to manage the win, Hall was often returning with a trophy. As a junior, Hall was close to can't miss. 
He won a bunch of big tournaments, including the junior players. And at 18, he beat out a crop of pros at sectionals to qualify for the U.S. Open at Marion. After that, it was on to Texas, where one of his teammates was Scotty Scheffler. Joining me now in studio, two members of the Longhorns golf team. We've got sophomore Gavin Hall and freshman Scotty Scheffler. Guys, we appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, let's talk about, uh, you know, this weekend, the U.S. Collegiate uh, College Championship. Fortunately, Scotty and I had great back nines as well, and it got pretty close at the end. Uh, Scotty birdied 17. Um, I did as well, and then we both closed in on 18. But overall, it was a great team win. We had a Fast forward to now, though, and Scotty Scheffler is your Masters champion, and Hall, when I spoke to him, was in Delray Beach, Florida, preparing for a Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour. Since college, Hall has played sparingly in Canada and China with only modest success. If he was can't miss at 15, at 27, it's more like he can't stick. You know, it came to me so quickly. Um, I would say I, because I played in my first PGA Tour event at 15 years old, so it it came really, really quickly. And I, I didn't, honestly, looking back, I didn't know how to handle it, at, you know, because it just was like coming in so fast and I was riding the wave. And that's golf, right? I mean, I feel like guys go into certain stretches. Um, uh, I mean, look at Scotty right now, the way he's riding the wave. And Jordan had his wave when he won those majors and Brooks had his wave. But for Hall, the wave didn't last. Unlike Morikawa or Scheffler, he could be considered a case study in the downside of having too much success too soon, where the temptation might be to think you don't really need to put the work in because the results say you don't really need it. And then when things get tough, which in golf they always do, you realize you don't really have what it takes. In one of the first episodes of Local Knowledge back in 2020, Dan Rappaport talked to a player named Danny Wax, who rolled through college, had decent success on the Corn Ferry Tour, and then basically walked away. Why? Because it was too hard. I just wasn't having fun with it. And, you know, when you're not having fun with something that's, you know, your career and you've invested so much time, like, I think that's a pretty clear cut sign that you should move on and do something else. You know, the enjoyment of it uh, is probably what allows you to succeed uh, at that professional level. You know, if there's guys out there that are hating it, I think that that rubs off and shows in your game in some fashion. I'll tell you a quick related story on this. One of the people I talked to when pursuing this story was David Young. David is the head pro at Sleepy Hollow Country Club in New York, and his son Cameron is a rookie on the PGA Tour. My interview with David was for a story I wrote on this same topic, so I don't have the audio. But while we were talking, David was in his office and his screensaver was flashing all pictures of tournaments Cameron had played as a junior. And some of those pictures even featured scoreboards. The reason this is interesting is because David could see Colin Morikawa's name far down the list on these leaderboards, nowhere near the top. Meanwhile, the kids at the top, the ones who apparently had it all figured out, many of them aren't even playing pro golf. This, however, is where Gavin Hall is different. To this point, we've basically described two types of golfers. You either love to get better and you reap the rewards of that process, or you only like golf when everything is going great. But that's a little simple, don't you think? Because a lot of us fall into this vast middle where we enjoy getting better, but it doesn't always work out that way, and we just keep going. It's frustrating, discouraging, we want to throw our clubs in the lake, and yet we come out and play the next day. The right mindset understands everything in golf is a process, and if you believe in that process, you're willing to stick it out. That's Gavin, and while there's a chance he might not ever crack golf's highest level, he refuses to see it as a waste of time. If anything, he thinks it's all gonna help him. I'm 27, so 
of course I see guys that are saying I'm, you know, I'm this, this is the best I got. I'm content. I'm going to go, you know, earn a living elsewhere. Um, for me personally, I feel like I'm good enough to, to go compete on the highest level. It's just a matter of digging in and dealing with, um, you know, it's a longer process. It's just, right. you know, that's just the way it is. Look, not everyone with the right mindset makes it in golf. The game is too hard and there are just too many other variables in play. But the right mindset matters way more than people think because without it, you're not even willing to try. I mean, you have to have talent, of course, but I think the biggest thing is having a really positive attitude. Um, that's where you see the guys. Um, you could have a great golf swing fundamentally and everything, but if you have a bad attitude and you, you don't, enjoy being out there it doesn't really matter i mean i feel like the best guys have um the best attitude and um give it their best each shot each round um you know i feel like that's what i'm trying to work on is just having a really positive mindset and having um the best attitude and the most um appreciation i can Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried. The music for this episode is Scuttle by Robert John. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to Local Knowledge on Apple Podcasts. And please make sure you check out our weekly gambling podcast, Be Right.